Welcome to the Practicing Clinicians Exchange podcast series, Patient Considerations When Using GLP-1 Receptor Agnes. This is podcast number one, GLP-1 Receptor Agnes, which ones for which patients? I'm Davida Kruger. I'm a certified nurse practitioner at Henry Ford Health Systems in Detroit, Michigan. With me today is Dr. Ann Peters, Professor of Medicine at the Keck School of Medicine of USC and Director of the USC Clinical Diabetes Programs. This program is provided by Practicing Clinicians Exchange for 0.25 ANCC and AAPA credits with 0.25 Pharmacology credit for NPs. The program is supported by an educational grant from Novo Nordisk. To receive credit for this program, please visit pce.is/glp. Our learning objectives for this activity are as follows. Incorporate a patient-centered approach into management of patients with type 2 diabetes to help address patient social, emotional, and health factors. Identify the appropriate use of GLP-1-RA therapy based on cardiovascular risk and patient needs, preference, and abilities. So, Anne, let's get started. And I thought we might think a little bit about the guiding principles for patient-centered diabetes care um, and look a little bit about some of the standards of care that we get from the American Diabetes Association. Well, yes, that's a very good place to start because frankly, this is all about the patient. And I feel like what you and I both do is long-term management with these individuals. And a lot of my patients really want to know about what's best for them. And what's best for them in terms of diabetes now is not just about glucose lowering, but it's really about how do we best reduce a lot of other risk, risk for cardiovascular disease, risk for progression of of nephropathy, if they have renal insufficiency, uh, heart failure issues, weight issues, all sorts of things now that we actually can discuss with patients and have ways to approach. And so I actually find this new era of diabetes management incredibly exciting because we have so many more tools than when you and I started, which was really a long time ago. Well, I I think that's absolutely right, because we are starting to think of diabetes in a whole new way. Uh, We really are concerned about diabetes control, glucose control, but we have to look at all those other factors. And finally, we have medications that can help us, you know, assist patients in that area. And of course, one of the biggest areas is cardiovascular. And I think the other thing you said that really triggered something in my mind is controlling weight, because that's one of the things too, I think I want to make sure we touch on, is that in the past, we've given patients medications, um, and we could control glucose, but we also caused weight gain. And it's nice to be able to offer them something that is either weight neutral or helps with rate reduction. Well, yes, and the absence of hypoglycemia is also another great feature to the newer agents we have available, because hypoglycemia and the fear of hypoglycemia really impacts patients' lives. And it's really nice to not have to worry about teaching people about the fact that they have to worry about this. And if they exercise more, they might go low or whatever it is that we have to deal with to get around that. Nowadays, we have treatment that doesn't cause hypoglycemia, which is a relief. Unless, of course, you need to use insulin, which frankly, I'm not opposed to using, but 
if I don't need it, it's nice. Well, certainly in the earlier um, diagnosing of um, type 2 diabetes, when we're thinking about our next move um, before insulin, very often we can use a GLP-1. Uh, and I think that's such a huge benefit for our patients to be able to say, okay, your first injectable is going to be, or we now have an oral, but that the GLP-1 would be the next in line with all of the benefits that it has. So in terms of guidelines, the 2021 ADA guideline is an evolution. And I think that's all of our recommendations over time are an evolution from you know, where we start to what's new in terms of research. And I think what's really important when you look at the guidelines for using uh, medications in people with type two diabetes is we always start with metformin and lifestyle. And I really believe in lifestyle, no matter where you are in the, in the paradigm of treatment, no matter what you're on, lifestyle matters um, because it always enhances outcomes. And frankly, it's good for you. Um, and then we talk about using metformin and metformin's great. It's a great glucose lowering drug. We've had it since 1957 and we know all sorts of things about it. But then you're supposed to very quickly subdivide the patients into two groups. And the higher risk group, the one that we'll talk more about is the group that has either a high risk for cardiovascular disease, has cardiovascular disease, has CKD, has heart failure. That's one bucket. And that goes sort of to the left side, which is where we basically want people to be on, in addition to metformin, a GLP-1 receptor agonist or an SGLT2 inhibitor. And in my mind, it's almost like we're saying to use dual combination therapy because in those people with those risk factors or you know, considerations, I want them to all be on a GLP-1 receptor agonist and or an SGLT2 inhibitor because of the additional benefits. Yeah, and I think that we really do strive to make people understand the cardiovascular benefits um, that this medication, this classification does have to offer patients. And, and I heard what you said about the bucket, and I agree with you 100%, but I also think that so many of our patients are at such high risk for cardiovascular disease, even if we can't put them on a, a label on them, that they so benefit by using a GLP-1 to protect them. Well... Yes. And I mean, I'm a big advocate for doing the maximal amount to help a patient with the fewest medications. Again, it also goes back to lifestyle as an interface with all of this. Um, but then the, the recommendations try to subdivide those patients into whether you should start them first on an SGLT2 inhibitor, first on a GLP-1 receptor agonist. And, you know, I don't actually fret too much about this. Now, I do think that the data is probably well, clearly better for SGLT2 inhibitors in terms of heart failure. Um, and then there is really good renal benefit from SGLT2 inhibitors as well, but there is some renal benefit with GLP-1 receptor agonists. And in terms of the cardiovascular outcomes trials, we have really good data with loraglutide, semaglutide, and dulaglutide in terms of cardiovascular benefit. And you know, I think that that obviously is something that I consider when I'm using these drugs. The SGLT2 inhibitors have renal cut points. So if you get to an EGFR of 45 or less, you're basically 
not getting any glucose lowering with the SGLT2 inhibitors because they just need to have your renal tubules working better. Um, so SGLT2 inhibitors become a drug that's not for glucose, but for uh, kidney protection, cardiovascular benefit, heart failure benefit. And then there are cut points in terms of EGFR. And this is an area in which you need to become familiar about what you can use where, because you wanna make sure you follow um, in terms of, of those guidelines. GLP-1 receptor agonists, except for exenatide, can be used down to any level of renal dysfunction, including patients on dialysis, um, although they're not well studied in that area. There's no cut point for EGFR, um, again, except for, for exenatide. And so there, that's a really good agent to use in patients who have significant renal impairment because they're you know, safe and effective. And they always cause um, glucose lowering, or at least they are, are likely to cause an impact on glycemia as well as an impact on weight. But then in terms of actually looking at these different agents, um, we know that there's once weekly formulations, there's the once a day, um, the one that's most commonly used, at least in my world, is liraglutide. And mm -hmm. you know, how do you pick amongst the different GLP-1 receptor agonist options? And part of it is obviously formulary, but yeah. More and more formularies have a GLP-1 receptor agonist on the formulary. Um, and then it's also patient preference. And most of my patients, by and large, can figure out how to give a once a week injection. Once a day seems more daunting to most people. But when I first started giving out a once weekly injection, you know, I wasn't sure patients would remember, but they actually do. And to me, it's a really good way to start somebody on an injection is just saying this is just once a week. And sometimes I haven't come into the office to give them the once weekly injection at first just because they're scared, but almost anybody can figure out how to do this. And you know, it's not a barrier to me, but we do have now as well oral semaglutide. So we can give a GOP-1 receptor agonist in an oral form. And even though you and I aren't afraid of teaching patients how to give injections, in primary care, I think that the notion of a pill is something that just is fundamentally seems easier. So there is that option as well. And we don't yet have the kind of cardiovascular outcomes trial data with oral semaglutide as we do with the once weekly form. But you know, in all honesty, I think because it's the same compound, it's likely to have the same benefit. Well, and one of the things we learned in those last 12 months um, is that we can teach patients virtually um, to take an injection if that's the choice that they make. And we would have mail order, deliver it, or the patients would go to the pharmacy, pick it up, and then we would do a virtual visit um, to support them to take that either one time or as often as they needed to feel comfortable. And then again, the fact that these drugs in of themselves do not cause hypoglycemia, most patients have weight reduction is um, a bonus. It always, it always is amazing to me that those are quote side effects, but those are bonuses when a patient has weight reduction instead of weight gain. And we we can avoid hypoglycemia. Because I think most patients, those are the two things, if you ask them, they hate the most, weight gain and hypoglycemia. And we can offer them that with the benefit, um, all kinds of other benefits to managing their diabetes. So we, the class in itself offers so much to so many. But 
there are potential can be some warnings and side effects. Do you want to talk a little bit about um, the potential side effects that we need to make sure the patients are and the providers are aware of? Sure. So the big black box warning is for medullary thyroid carcinoma. And, you know, if somebody has a personal or family history of medullary thyroid carcinoma or a multiple endocrine neoplasia type two, then they're contraindicated. That being said, those are very rare conditions. And my belief is, is that in the follow-up, we haven't seen an increase in MTC in individuals on the GLP-1 receptor agonists. So it's something that originally was found in rodent models and is in the label. You can't ignore that it's there, but in most of your patients, there's not gonna be that risk. But in terms of side effects, the GI side effects are the most common. And I tell people that they may have GI side effects in terms of nausea, um, diarrhea, constipation, rarely uh, vomiting. And that generally, if you go up more slowly, they have fewer side effects and most people will be able to tolerate it. I've had an occasional patient who just can't. I mean, I'm not gonna push someone, I don't want someone vomiting because of some drug that I'm trying to give them to help them. But you know, mostly you can actually work your way up and get people to tolerate them. And um, I've even done things like give the once weeklies every other week to get people sort of on um, at a level that their body gets used to. But after I get someone used to it, I think that they pretty much do fine. And I can up titrate to one of the higher doses. Now, that being said, my understanding is that two of these agents, both doula and semaglutide, have had dose label increases lately so that you can get more uh, pens that go up in terms of the doula dose as well as the semaglutide dose. So the FDA is saying at higher doses, you get more efficacy and more weight loss. And so they've approved these higher doses. So, um, you know, just stay tuned for these changes that are occurring. But I know that you can order the higher dose doula glutide pens, um, at least that they're in my EMR. 3.0 and 4.5. And then the final comment I would make in terms of the risk of side effects is that uh, I agree. I like to tell patients also to eat less, uh, take half as much food on the plate as they think they're going to need. And then um, if they're still hungry, they can eat more. And that seems to help with the nausea. And then there doesn't seem to be a direct correlation to the risk of pancreatitis. Most likely that's because of the fact that they have type two diabetes. Well, this was a great great conversation. It's always good talking to you. And thank you for your insights and for all of that information. And, and I hope that those listening to us really understand the importance and the benefit of this classification and offer it to their patients. Thank you so much. It was wonderful talking with you today. Thank you. To receive credit for this activity, please visit pce.is glp. Don't forget to join us for GLP-1 RA Podcast 2, What Patients Need to Know. This is Davida Kruger. Thank you again for joining us.